0: Turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. Very uh, small verse, uh, a chap, uh, book in the Bible. I understand that someone is teaching through the book of Titus. Uh, I'll just be referring to six verses. Uh, how long does it take you to read Titus? If you're a slow reader like me, I read it in new English, uh, the English Standard Version yesterday morning. took five minutes. This morning I read a New American Standard Version. took four and a half. That's slow reading. So you have no excuse to not read the book of Titus. Just three chapters. The title of my message is, Let Your Light Shine. And uh, it might be a little controversial to some of you because you, it has to do with good works, good deeds. But uh, let your light shine. Six verses in the book of Titus that, that refer to good deeds. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible in Matthew uh, verse uh, 16 of chapter 5 it says let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven do you notice that it says see your good works it's not good works done anonymously they need to see it because see it but done in such a way that what may happen that God may be glorified notice that you know, I was reading a book yesterday on the, on the Ten Commandments. The law of God was never to justify, but to terrify, drive us to God. Same way with good works. Good works were never meant to justify, but to glorify God Himself. You know, you have in the bulletin the verse Titus three five. Christ saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done see that done, even done in righteousness but according to his mercy by the renewing of by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit we're not saved by good works but we're saved unto good works I like uh, the verse in Revelation it says verse 13 of chapter 14 deeds which follow after do your deeds follow after you? what kind of deeds do you have what are you known for uh, your personality your, your good looks uh, are, you, are you known for something that follows after he is a good person that lady was good person because of the life that we live which even though people saw but they were done in such a way that they glorify God in heaven what deeds follow after you Acts ten thirty eight says Jesus went about doing good. You know the difference with Jesus and us is most of us just go about. Jesus went about what? Doing good. I like the verse uh, eight and ten of uh, eight to ten of Ephesians chapter two. For by grace you have been saved, how through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that anyone should boast. And then there's this phrase. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Isn't that interesting? You're created in Christ Jesus as re- to do something. To be a good person. To live a life that's Good. A life that that shines somehow that Christ may be magnified. Creating Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me ask you. If you're not living a life of good works. You're not living according to the will of God. Notice that? That's what it says. God prepared beforehand good works. That you should walk in them. That something about you should be uh, be a light it doesn't bring glory to you, but there's something there that brings glory to God Himself. Now, Titus is a very practical book. Paul wrote to Titus to give him instructions on how to appoint elders and, and instruct people in the church and how to how to live a life that that brings glory to God. And there are six verses in Titus that, that use the phrase good deeds, good works. English Standard Version says good works, the New American says good deeds. We'll use good deeds today. So let's look at these six verses today. Number one, Titus one sixteen. Titus one sixteen, it says uses the phrase, this is a negative phrase. It says worthless of any good deed. There's nothing like being called worthless, is there? You're no account. You're never amount to anything. You know, I had a father and relatives that used to say that about me. It kind of degrading and depressing and, and uh, discouraging. So, I mean, you're, you're never amount to anything. You're, you're of no worth. But let me, as bad as that is, let me ask you something. When you stand before Christ and He says to you, Depart from me, you did nothing of worth. That's Matthew 25. Depart from me, you did nothing of worth. Well, what is this worth? You did not feed me, you did not give me to drink, you did not care for me, you did not clothe me, and you did not visit me in prison. Isn't that interesting, folks? Depart from me, you did nothing of worth. The whole the whole verse is this, verse 16. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless of any good deed. Paul not only condemns their false teaching, their false doctrine, but also their activities. Both sound doctrine and action, in accordance with a changed life, are necessary for Christians. So, what kind of life are you living? What kind of life do you live? Is it, is it the life of sweet-smelling savor of Christ? When you're around, and people somehow are drawn to a, a, of a, of a, not a physical, not a physical scent, a smell, but a, but a, but a, a, a fragrance that, that, that Christ is here. It's not, you know, you don't, you go to a Korean restaurant and you smell like kimchi for a week. You know, you <laughs> You eat sauerkraut you smell like sauerkraut and you've never been to Germany you, 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 your life is like sour milk It's kind of people want to be away from it or is there something about you because your light is shining that, that that draw you to the to the Savior draw you to the Savior Number one, number two Titus two verse 7. Second uh, use of the word good deeds is Example, Titus two seven. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine. Now, another word for example is a model. You know, a model of a model of good works. You know, you see models today, and <clears throat> they're supposed to model something. Uh, the clothes they don't wear very many clothes. It seems like it. And the phrases are always sad or rough or something, you know, that's kind of the modern day trend way you look. But what do, when people see our life or around us with our actions, do they model do they model good works? Let me give an example. Jesus said, in John thirteen, fifteen, he said, For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. What was that in relation to? Jesus had just done what? Wash the disciples' feet. There's a phrase in uh, Romans that says, associate with the lowly. In other words, wash feet, uh, associate with the lowly. Is there anything in your life where people can point to you and say, you care for the, for the lowest of the low, for the, for the, for the dirty jobs, for those uh, activities that no one else wants to do, but they have to be done. We do follow the steps of Jesus. Do as I have done to you. When's the last time you've done a dirty job? Wash somebody's feet? Done something that no one else is doing? Because you can't wear your suit while you're doing it? Or you can't wear your... Oh, you don't smell nice after you get it done? My wife and I were... A, Missionaries in the Philippines for quite a few years, and we worked with the poor—you know, street kids and and prostitutes and prisoners. And by the way, we were just in the Philippines. And years ago, when we started working the the maximum security prison, I would not go through the main gate. I would not actually go out with the prisoners because they'd kill you. They'd rape you. Yeah, you know, it, it was a bad place. Fourteen thousand prisoners. <laughs> We were just there. I took my wife inside with me with another couple. We went in and had a Bible study with nine men. We were there probably six hours. And we went inside the prison, the room, all over the, there. are I have no guards inside the prison. 14,000 maximum security rapists, murderers inside the prison. We're in there. No guards. They police themselves now. Over the last 20 years... Over 4,000 of these men have come to faith in Christ. Can you believe this? 14,000 prisoners, 4,000. Inside the prison, there are six churches. <laughs> there are three Bible schools. There's a seminary built inside the prison. That's what Christ has done. And so when we have a pastor's conference in the prison for the ones that God has raised up to lead the, lead the men in their Bible studies and churches and so on. Oh, do you mean these are pastors have been thrown into prison? No, these are ones that God has been raising up. And uh, but we worked with people like this but a pastor uh, a missionary with a conservative Baptist came to me one time and said uh, we were shopping over at the grocery store and he came in and said uh, could, you come and, could you help us plant a church among the rich I said man we can't help we can't plant a church among the rich I get intimidated if I talk to a man who has got five dollars in my pocket and, 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 and he said Doug you can bluff it because they think all missionaries are rich so you can work with it. So anyway, we started this church. But Dave Yott, the church is now 10,000 people. Dave Yott and his wife have now retired. They're older in their 70s. They live in Chicago. So he started a little church among Filipinos and Chinese and blacks and Hispanic and Americano, all, all, all these, in inner city Chicago. So I was there last, uh, last month speaking him. Before someone had told me that in the church, one of the ladies came up to Dave Yount. This man who, who is very dignified. He 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 looks like a prestigious man, and uh, uh, he's gray headed, and he's not intimidated by anybody. He can work with the poor as well as the the government officials. He's not intimidated with anybody. But anyway, Pastor, would you go visit my brother in the hospital? And Pastor Yount said, Well, yes, I will. And so, where, should my Pastor, you need to know something. My, my brother is, is black. And he does not like white people. Oh, okay. And Pastor, I need to tell you something else. He does not like pastors. <clears throat> he hates preachers. He hates whites. But Pastor Jan said, well, I'll go visit him anyway. So, when he walks into the Veterans Hospital in Chicago... In the summertime, electricity somehow, had uh, air conditioning wasn't working, it was very hot, he walks in this room, and it seemed like nobody else wanted to be in the room with this other patient. He's, he's a very huge man, sitting on the edge of a bed, uh, his feet dangling off, and he had no clothes on, just his underwear, and he's huge, and, and Dave Yant, this prestigious looking, well-dressed white guy, walks into the, the room and, with his tie and coat on and everything, and uh, The black began to swear at him. Call him all kinds. Get out of my room you white. And he started calling him all these filthy names. And Dave said. Well I came to talk to you. Because your sister wanted me. Oh my sister. And he took off on his sister. Well I need to talk to you. I came all this way. I need to talk to you. And get out of my room. I do not want to talk to you. While he was swearing at him. he, He had a. The man was sitting on the edge of the bed. And he had a washcloth, something like this, and he was dipping it in water, and he was going like this to his back. And Dave said, what are you doing? The well, says, they haven't given me a bath in, in, uh, in so many days, and I'm sweaty, and I'm itching all over, and he couldn't reach his back, and he's big. And Dave said, here, let me take that. And he took the washcloth and dipped it in water, it, put some soap on it, and he started washing the man's back. Washing the man's back. Then he put his arm up and started washing under here. All the time, this man was swearing at him. And he washed his back, and he washed his stomach, and he washed his legs. And when he got down to the bottom of his legs, the man looking at him said, Well, while you're down there, wash my feet too. So Dave took the bucket of water and soap and washed his feet so tenderly, graciously, Christianly washed the man's feet all the time the man was spewing out this foul language Dave said it was so bad even though I was raised on the streets of Chicago and I knew all the language to be called all these things while I'm washing a man's feet the hair stood up on my neck I was so embarrassed and as he left that day the man still swearing at him you know what happened Dave went back the next day Pastor Dave went back the next day. And that week that man came to Jesus Christ. The good works did not save him. The good works of washing the man's feet opened the door of that man to sense the love of Christ and understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul says, they begin to comprehend and understand the truth of the gospel. Why? Because of the actions of a person doing good works. Number three Not only worthless of any good deed, but an example of good deeds, but number three, zealous for good deeds. Look at verse fourteen of chapter two. It says Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us a people zealous for good deeds. Now zealous means passion. Christ died to produce in us a passion for good deeds. John Piper, he said in one of his books, he said, God is shown to be glorious by the good deeds of Christians. For that glory, Christ suffered and died. Now, without limiting its scope, the Bible means mainly helping people in urgent need Especially those who possess least and suffer the most. Who are these? The children. Orphans. Street kids. I've asked this question here before, but you remember 9-11? Remember 9-11? What happened on 9-11? What happened on 9-11 was 35,000 children died of starvation and disease on 9-11. Possibly children that you and I could have done something about to save. That's not to minimize what happened in, in uh, Pennsylvania or Washington DC or New York in the towers. It's not to minimize that at all. But the day that 4,000 people died in that tragedy, 35,000 children died of starvation and disease. And also in September 10 and September 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and every day since. And I, I wonder... When you, when you hear this passion. See, it's, it's interesting. Passion. Jesus Christ, we hear we, the passion. God, His passion was to die on the cross. For you and me. The same way it says here that we are redeemed. That He might conv- bring to Himself a people who have a passion for good deeds. The same thing. Do we have that passion? For example, if you read the article that I sent to my email list this last week on how to buy a child in 10 hours. It was a story about a man who left New York City from his apartment. A newsman wanted to do a story. He actually didn't buy a child, but he was investigating something. He goes by taxi to the New York airport, JFK, gets on the plane three and a half hours to Haiti. Goes through customs, checks in his hotel, walks out to the swimming pool, has an appointment already, and he begins to negotiate the purchase of a child slave. Ten hours! 400,000 children have been sold into slavery in the country of Haiti. Now, when you, when you read something like that, hear something like that, I'm wondering if God would somehow stir in somebody's heart a passion To do something about that. A passion. God. I will not sleep. Until I. By your grace. Do something about. God. I will die. To do something about that. Even if I can only rescue. One little black child. That nobody cares about. The lowest of the low. God. I will give the rest of my life. To see that that's done. Praise God for these 25. That. People from our church. That are going from. Going out to work with some of these kids that nobody cares about, the world's given up on, the family, people who have a passion to do something about that for the glory of God. People read about the 160 million children living on the streets of the world, the 143 million orphans throughout the world, the 10 million age orphans in Africa, and we'll say, God, I want to do something about that. I may be very Limited in my ability and background and education. But God, would you use me to do something about that? You may not even like kids. What's that got to do with it? God, would you use me to do something? A passion. A passion. This is summertime. We have ice cream. Trucks go around selling ice cream in the neighborhoods. In our church, there's a, we have these uh, baby bottles from Life Choices, you know. This uh, Christian ministry to young girls who are pregnant and encourage them to keep their baby. And, and you have these baby bottles, and all the families take these baby bottles, put the money in them, and save them and bring them back. In. Have you done that in your church? You haven't? Oh, come on, Joe, you've got to. Well, we have these, ba- we have these baby bottles, and the, the money, families were saving the money in. And money got up to the top and all of a sudden this man noticed <laughs> the money started going down and so he called his two little girls he said hey do you know anything do you know what's happening to the money oh well daddy the ice cream truck has been going by and we wanted some ice cream so we took the money out and bought ice cream and the father said that's not your money that money belongs to the babies. And the little girls looked at their dad and said, Who cares about babies? We want ice cream. It's a terrible illustration, but I'm wondering if that talks to us. We say, Who cares about these kids in Haiti? Who cares about the babies? We want our satisfaction. I don't feel comfortable working with kids. You know, I I have a life to live. I have plans, uh, other plans. You know, who who cares about babies? We may never say that, but our actions depict it, don't they? Who cares about the babies? We want our ice cream. Number four, worthless of any good deed, example, zealous. But number four, Titus three one ready for good deeds to be ready for every good deed to say you know you get up in the morning most of us don't feel like saying anything but when you get up in the morning and say God what would you have me to do today you know I am it's like you watch the Olympics and you know and these guys on the start they don't just kind of mosey out and kind of look around and come up to the line and just wait I wonder if you're going to shoot the gun pretty soon we're going to run down no they get ready they're ready they're ready for any good deed. Are you ready? Do you, do you actually say that? Do you actually say that, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I can hardly wait for something to happen today so I can do something for the glory of God. It's almost like that. Are you, are, you, are you the kind of person that's built into your life, some measure of maturity, that when problems and difficulties come in your life, and you see it, not necessarily to you, but around you, you're ready to do something about it for the glory of God. James what? James 4 says, he that knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to what? To him it is sin. In other words, you, you're ready. You see something. You see a, a, a girl that nobody's paying attention to in the classroom. She's, she's kind of, you know, she's not the kind of person you really want to be around. But you do something to befriend her. You see somebody in the church that nobody ever... You, you do something. People talk, but they never invited you and they got their unruly kids, but you invite them to your home to eat. At, at the grocery store, somebody's arguing about something. You go up and say, may I help? Somebody who doesn't have enough money to pay their bill. Well, here, let me take care of that for you. I know you're ready. It's, those are simple things, but you're ready. Well, why would you do this for me? It gives you an opportunity. I just want to glorify God gives you an opportunity. Some of you heard this story about when my wife and I went to Philippines the first time. Well, when we moved there in 1970. We were very discouraged. We hadn't been paid for three months. We didn't like Filipinos. Can you imagine being missionaries in the Philippines? Didn't like Filipinos. We didn't like Filipinos, so we were going through homesickness, and I wanted to move back to India, and and uh, where I served for two years. And so we were having a very depressing, discouraging time. Woke up one morning in the middle of a typhoon. One of the worst typhoons ever in the Philippines. And Margaret's got a side ache. At 2 o'clock in the morning, she goes, boy, she's really sick. So I grabbed the medical book and I'm looking at. it And uh, poke here, poke there. Might be appendicitis. Wait a couple hours and do it again. So I woke up at 4. She's still sick. Really bad. So, I run next door and ask, where a clinic? Where, where's the doctor? And somebody said, oh, there's a doctor like you. Meaning a Christian. There's a doctor like you. About out there. About maybe 15 miles out. A little place called Malawan Luan. A little, little village. There. So, I board their little motorcycle and a little scooter and Margaret gets on the back and here she's got appendicitis and she gets on the back of this motor scooter and, and uh, rain's coming down she's holding an umbrella and it's still dark and I'm trying to miss all the potholes going down this road to find Malawanlawan we get there about 4.30 in the morning still dark, see a man trying to pull his oxen into safety and I said I said sir, is, where's the doctor oh over there in that place a little, little house there and I walked over and knocked on the door 4.30 in the morning. Do you like to get a knock on your door at 4.30 in the morning? Knocked on the door and the door opens. <laughs> I look in. I didn't see anything. Then I looked down like this and there he was. And Dr. Santiago. You know what he said to me? 4.30 in the morning. banging on the door. He says, may I help you? Is there something I can do for you? I mean, this man got up ready. I mean, he being disturbed, but he's ready to help someone. May I help you? And I said, Doctor, I said, my wife is ill, and oh, let me take. He takes her and puts her down. He gives her examination. And he said, I need to operate now. So we put her on a, you know, cleaned off this kind of a dining room table and put her on the table. And and uh, he's so short, he had to stand on a box to reach her, and, and I held a lantern, and he gave her a spinal, and got one of his little assistants to come and help him, and he operated on her, and saved her life, saved her you know, when we left in five days, I, I observed this man, how he loved the poor, and helped people, and, and didn't charge anybody, all this stuff, and I remember saying to him, the doctor Dr. Tom I have no money, I didn't, you know, usually when we say that, we still got 10 bucks, or 30, or 100, or something, I had nothing, we had not one dollar. I said, Doctor, I have no money to pay for you. I can give you my ring, give you my glasses, give you the gold out of my false teeth. but but I have no money. He takes me by the hand and says, you know, Doug, he said, God brought you to the Philippines to serve our people. I can serve you. I can serve you. Do you know, when we left that place, we went very discouraged. When we left that place, we were in love with the Philippines. We were in love with the people there. We were in love with God change our whole life. A future, future ministry in the Philippines. Well, I don't know how many thousand who have come to the, come to the Lord in saving faith. Not through us, but through our, the ministry. Street kids and prostitutes and the rich and the poor. Why? Because of that one little Filipino man, barely four foot tall, who reached out and said... May I help you? He was ready. You know, you could change the can change the life of, of not only one person but thousands of people just from a simple act of kindness. Simple act. Are you are you ready? Are you ready? Number five, careful to do good deeds. See, some of these overlap, don't they? Don't they overlap. Look at Titus three eight. I'm, I'm careful. Be careful to engage in good deeds. See, ready. Be, be careful. No, we're, we're, to, we're to be serious about this. You, know, you listen to this sermon today. You, are, you, you, you hear this word, be careful. When you walk out the door today, the activities you participate, don't change any of them, but be, be careful that when you're involved in whatever it might be, you're careful to engage in good deeds. You know the word. I understand. I don't know Greek, but it means to be fully engaged, to be careful, to be fully engaged. Not just here's a dime. Uh, you know, let me put out one. You know, you're careful to be fully engaged in a life of good deeds that glorify God. So, what good deeds to the glory of God are you engaged today? I mean, fully engaged. Kindness, generosity, uh, special projects that you're involved in that no one else is doing. You know, you see some skateboarders around. Nobody likes skateboarders. Maybe you should do something about the skateboarders. You see some guys in the store that the way they dress and so forth. You know, everybody's kind of they're coming down the aisle. Man, everybody go down the other aisle. You walk down the aisle. When you get to them, how are you? What is your name? And just somehow, you're, you're a group of people or a ministry that nobody else is doing. You do it. I, Margaret and I were uh, discussing this morning. And she said, uh, radio program, she heard the man said, Don't just spend your money, invest it in the kingdom of God. You know, don't, just, don't just spend your life doing whatever, invest it in the kingdom of God. Invest it. Going back to another verse in uh, chapter 3 of verse 2, it says, showing, showing every consideration for all men. Now, I, little young people here today, let me teach you something. Let me, let me share something with you. Young people today are not being taught manners. They're not taught respect for the elderly Let's forget about the elderly. Let's just take consideration for everybody. Do we? Are we learning to show respect? Every consideration for all men, other people. Here, you can have my chair. Here, you 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 go first. Uh, may May I get a cup of coffee for you? Uh, may I May I pay that for you? Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. You know, little things of respect. Man, I heads turn. When young people are polite, we had a, we had a uh, this is interesting black Filipino family over at our house. There, we had about twelve people at our house. We we have a small place. We had to eat out on the on, on the driveway, and uh, so we're sitting there and and the teen, they just moved. One of the teenagers just moved from Florida. They're moving with their grandparents. There, she's sitting down at the end, and they've had a lot of problems with it. seventeen very attractive girl. While we were sitting there eating, we finished, and I had a good time. Her, she's 17, her, daughter, her sister's 10, and we're all uh, chatting. And so forth. When we got up, when we finished the meal, everybody was leaving. I picked up, we, had, we were eating these Filipino wooden trays, and I, and I started stacking up the trays. And the girl, the 17-year-old girl said to me, may I help you? Now, this is very interesting. You usually don't hear that from teenagers. Usually. I didn't say this church. <laughs> may, I, may I help you? She gets up. This is supposed to be the girl they're having problems with. She gets up and she comes in the kitchen with me. We don't have a dishwasher. We just have thing. And I started drawing the water and I'm putting this, all this, you know, 12 people eating, man. You've got all these plates and we're sitting. I started washing. And she said, Can I help you dry? So she starts drying. Because she did that, she helped me for 45 minutes or an hour doing the dishes. All the other people who were very shy in talking at the table, they couldn't leave with our, they couldn't leave and our other guests because they had to wait for the daughter. Because this girl did that, all these other people were able to talk and some needs were met, and people were taken care of, and new friends were made, and God was glorified because of a little seventeen year old girl saying, "May I help you, showing consideration for all men." Kindness is you know we're not taught, and I think mean critical, been, I not critical. They but just being kind. You know, some of us are basically shy, aren't we? But when we're shy, where's the emphasis? Emphasis is where here. When we're kind, the emphasis is where where to the person you're showing consideration to, appreciation to. Does it matter? When we uh, went to the Philippines recently, we were stayed in a little a condominium place, a little apartment of one of our missionaries. They were on Furlong, so we had to go to the store. That was an experience. I'm driving down to Manila traffic, 25 million people, world's largest parking lot, and I'm driving through this traffic, only the way a Filipino would drive. Getting to the store, we get the store, and we walk in, and it's kind of a huge place. And you walk in, and, and uh, there was a Little coffee place there. Wow. When we were in the Philippines, coffee was non existent, good coffee. But now they've got good coffee all over the place. I saw this nice little place there, a little bakery there. And I said, Margaret, you go ahead and <coughs> go shopping. I'm going to go have a <laughs> cup of coffee. And <clears throat> so I walked over, and there are two policemen sitting kind of outside here, not in the little restaurant, but outside. They were dressed all in black, had the machine guns, and they were SWAT cops. SWAT. And you know it's really interesting. <clears throat> nobody likes police in the Philippines. They're all corrupt and uh, nobody likes them. And so when I walked by them, I saw them and I and you know I don't like them anymore than anybody else does. But there's something different. What difference does that make? Really? If we're in the Philippines, we say, manam true believers. Aren't we supposed to act like it? So I said to these two men, how are you today? Isn't that uniform all black in this hot sun? Isn't it really hot? What does swat mean? Am I supposed to swat you? And, uh, and we're, we're just talking and asking them if I could use a machine gun because there's a guy in the parking lot I want to take care of. And they were laughing and so forth. And we're, all I did was talk to them. I didn't witness to them. Maybe I should have. And I talked to them for a few minutes. Then I left. I had to go do some things. And Later when I came over to get the coffee, they were way over here. I walked into this little place and, and I saw these ensamada. Ensamada is a Spanish kind of a roll with melted cheese and sugar on the top. It's a special delicacy in the Philippines. And I said, ma'am, I said, I would like two coffees and two of those ensamadas. And would you take them to those police out there? And she said, what? I said, take these police. She said, sir, you don't understand. They're police No, you don't do anything nice for police. And I said, I know they're police, but why would you want to buy them anything? They're police. I would argue with the girl before. And I'm trying to buy something. (laughs) Finally, she agrees to do it. I I said, when you give them the ensamata and the coffee, uh, don't tell them who's it from. She said, they're going to ask. Well, I said, don't tell them. She said, they're police. I said, listen, you don't have to say somebody who appreciates police and praying for them. So, she went. Reluctantly, she takes this around the corner, takes it over to where they were sitting, gives it to them. And then she comes back. <clears throat> I'm sitting around the corner so nobody can see me. She came, to, came around the corner and she says, They know it was you. <laughs> now listen. Now listen to this. I said, Why did they know it was me? She said, Because they said, Someone approached them a few minutes ago And spoke kindly to them. Kindly to them. My. Of all people. That should be kind. It should be you and me as Christians. Can you speak kindly to a person today? And lastly. Learn to good deeds. Titus 3.14. Titus 3.14. It says... Learn to engage in good deeds. Uh, the English standard version says, "Learn to devote yourselves to good deeds, to good works." You, you learn. You know, this morning, I trust has been something of learning. I've just given a few examples from <laughs> my life. It's just ordinary, like yours. Just, just. But you you learn from those. You know, you say, I'd like to do that. I want to be like her. I see how Pastor Joe does this. I I want to do that. You know, I I see how this team is going out to teach vacation Bible school and show a film and and love these kids for Christ's sake. You know, I want to, you know, I'm scared. I'm really scared. I'm afraid I might be afraid. But I want to learn to do what they're doing. I want to learn to uh, approach people and Say, may I help you? Even though I may make a mistake, I want, to, I want to learn to do that. You know, learning means the humility to learn, isn't it? Those of you who are, I think some of us who are in our 60s and 70s and 80s, the reason why we're so grumpy is because we're, we forgot the task, we forgot the, the emphasis that Christ gives on humility And learning and growing. My father in law, 95, was asked by my nephew in the Philippines, who's here, asked him last Wednesday night at the dinner table, uh, What is your secret of finishing well? And Dad, 95, this godly man said, To grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ every day. I have so much to learn. Well, that's what this is. To learn to devote yourselves to good works. In spite of what people may think. Oh. He's just doing that because he just wants to show how good he is. So what? See, that's why some of us are not doing so. You know, if I, if I started coughing. Man, I'm looking out for water. And, uh, and a brother here said, you know, that, he needs some Water. You know, but why don't somebody out there get water you look around nobody else is getting any water finally he gets up and goes you know he's saying "Man, if I get up from the front row I got to step on these two people I got to go down the aisle people say oh isn't he so nice be, what's he doing that for you he get show off <laughs> <coughs> so what he does he just sits there because he doesn't want to be a show off I'm still choking to death <laughs> see learn to devote you know If I start coughing, there should be 120 people jumping up to go get water. Maybe it's just an excuse to leave. (laughs) But see, you and I need to learn to do good deeds. One of our heroes is Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor in the 1800s in England, a large church of 5,000. On his 50th birthday, they gave him a birthday party. Had about 2,000 people came to his birthday party. You know how they honored a pastor? They had about 60 different ministries of the church. Various ministries. Evangelism, discipleship, you know, whatever. And one of the committees was a women's flower committee. And all these committees would give a a blessing to their pastor by telling him how God has used their ministry to show the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring people to the Savior. With this Women's Flower Committee, the numbers that they had seen come to faith in Christ was huge. You know what the Flower Committee was? The Flower Committee was simply a group of women. They weren't really evangelists. They weren't good cooks. They weren't whatever, but they were the Women's Flower Committee. Not F-L-O-U-R, but F-L-O-W-E-R. They would meet every Tuesday in the basement of the church. And they would bring flowers. they oh, bring all these flowers. And they would arrange them in bouquets. I don't know where they got the flowers. Maybe they stole them from some garden on the way. They brought all these flowers and they arrange them in bouquets. And then they'd divide up in groups of three. Three women. And they'd go out with these flowers in the community. And go to shut-ins and people in the hospital. and Prostitutes and the poor and the rich and lonely. And they would give them these flowers in Jesus' name. Invite them to church and tell them about Jesus. And so many of these people that they ministered to came to faith in Christ. You know, are there any flower committees that need to be started in this church? You know, it's not, it's not, not so you have actually a flower, but is there something similar, some ministry that needs to be done that we can learn from these women who lived in the 1800s in London. We can learn from that. See, that's what we mean by learning. Humility to learn. I was telling Pastor Joe, the reason I like a fellowship time when everybody gets up, see if we can. See, I learned from that. You know why I learned from that? Because a lot of people come to church and nobody ever talks to them. And so by having these, 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 a fellowship time, everybody gets up and how are you doing? What's your name? And so forth. And so it, 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 Gives the opportunity for that person to be ministered to by others. They may be very inward and and, and shy and and hurting. And someone will come up to you. and, How are you? And I haven't seen you before. And What is your name? And it's good to have you here today. See, we can learn from that. Learn that we might minister to others. Let me close with this. Years ago, a roly sabado came to man. Loli was uh, while we started that big church with Dave Yount, there was a group of businessmen that met for Chinese businessmen that met and uh, the, the Bible study leader was, was Campus Crusade for Christ and, and these were all businessmen but the businessmen wanted to start bringing their wife to Bible studies and so then they went to start meeting on Sunday and so out of that a Christ Commission Fellowship started. <clears throat> I speak, spoke at Christ Commission Fellowship when we were there in, in uh, March. And four services. 4,000 people at each service. That's what that little Bible study has grown to be. Okay, Now, the, Bible, the, the church is mainly for the middle and upper class. That's who they're seeking to reach. Nothing wrong with that. That's their target audience. Well, Roly, coming to church every Sunday, in this business complex where the church meets, he's stepping over these little street kids, sleeping on the street, he, up in, in the entryway of the, of the church, because he came early. And so he's stepping over these kids. So he came to me and said, you know, Mr. Nichols, could action start, you work with street kids, could you work with these street kids? I said, "Roly, I don't see them every Sunday. I don't go to your church. Our people are not there. You're stepping over them. You knew something about it. And then Rowley is is a professional artist from a happy family. He knows nothing about the poor, nothing about street kids. Well, he goes to to the leader of the church. He said, Could I start something? Could I do something about these kids? 300 of them. And they said, Oh, no, no, no. We don't work with those and so forth. Finally, he begged them and they said, okay, you can have our building on Sunday afternoon on this one particular day. So he he brought a bunch of volunteers from the church and he had this man preach. A man preached for 45 minutes in high Tagalog to street kids. It did not go well. And they had the wild music and the kids were all, you know, wild and so forth. And they could smell the food cooking and they're all, they almost beat up the preacher it, it, it was terrible. Meeting. It was terrible. I got there late at the end of the meeting because we were visiting the Philippines. I'm in another church and I came late, and and uh, it was a one big disaster. Afterwards, I'm in another. I'm speaking that night at six at this church, so I was there, and I see Roly crying. As I walked over from my arm and put an around him. I said, "Roly, what's the matter?" And, well, oh man, they're going to kick me out of church. I don't know what's going to happen, and, and it was terrible. I said, Roly, do you remember when you wanted to start ministry to the street kids? What did I say to you? What do you mean? I said, You said, How do I start work among street kids? I said, You start. You start. Now, Roly, what did you learn today? He said, Well, I learned to not have a long speaker. Yeah. What else? I learned to have a person that could kind of relate to these kids. Yeah, let's be. What else? I won't have any of that wild music. It got them all upset. Yeah. And I said, what else? Well, I'm going to feed them at the beginning, not the end. Yes. And he says, yeah, but Mr. Nichols, they went to the bathroom, you know, on the floor all over. I said, well, clean it up. It's granite floor. Get some, it smells. I said, get a spray can. And, you know, because Roly. Simple question. I'm not saying because I did it. I just simply say that I said, when you start something, you learn from your mistakes, don't you? That's where humility comes in. By the way, when I spoke there in March, before I spoke, they had a testimony of an 18 year old boy in his second year of chemical engineering at one of the leading universities of the Philippines, a street kid. That was one of those 300. Who came to faith in Christ. Now they have. That church. Christ Commission Fellowship. Has one of the best. And most efficiently ran. Most successful. Church based street children ministry. Throughout the world. Why did that happen? Because Roley. Simply learned from his mistakes. And did a ministry. That nobody else was willing to do. Good deeds in Titus. Don't let them be worthless. But set an example. Be zealous. Be ready. Be careful to do. And learn to do good deeds. The light of the world is Jesus. Right? Right? Does the world see the light, Jesus, because of the light that shines from your good works? The people see the light because of the light that shines from your good works. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for leading Paul to deal with this crucial subject in the book of Titus. And Father, help us to be men and women, young people. Who are not living lives, worthless lives, but lives of an an example of who Jesus is. Who Jesus, who went about doing good. Father, may we do the same. Father, thank you for the word of God, for speaking to our hearts. Lord, these verses are so convicting to each of us. Father, may we, be, may we do good this week. May our light shine. That people may see our good works to our parents. To our wives, to our husbands. To our fellow students, to our workers. People we associate with. May they see the light shining in the way we relate to, to, to people who no one likes. No one wants to be comfort, around because they're, they're so uncomfortable to be with. Follow me, people, see our good works done in such a way that they may <clears throat> glorify your name, the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.